Today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. If you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. Small book, right at, toward the end of the Bible, but power-packed with a lot of great stuff for us, a lot of good things to think about as the children of God. And in 1 John chapter 3, the beginning of that chapter, John makes the point that children of God purify themselves because of the hope that they have in Christ. And any time the idea of purity is dealt with, the, the subject of sin needs to come up. And this may be the reason that John moves right into a discussion of sin and how the child of, sin, child of, of God should live in sin no longer. John's teaching on sin fits into his overall theme of combating some specific false teachers of his day who were teaching that sin did not affect one's relationship with God, that the, the spiritual was separate from the physical, that you could live in the physical world. It was specifically known as Gnosticism. Uh, unfortunately, many ideas uh, are in the world today where the, that are very similar to that, where uh, many people think that they can live whatever life they want to live, but still be called a child of God. And John's writing specifically to make the point that we cannot. He wants his reader to consider how the true child of God thinks about sin. He wants us to, to understand the seriousness of sin and to not take it lightly. So let's read our text in 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 4. It says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister." So we're going to use these verses in 1 John to consider what John has to say about sin and, and how we should think of it as children of God. And we begin by noticing that he, he points out what sin is. Now, there are a lot of misconceptions about sin, isn't there? Uh, sometimes we, we try our best to, to justify sin or somehow qualify it. And how, how do we do that? How, how, do, how are we tempted to justify our sin? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different ways. Yeah, the, where we, we try to pass it off as no big deal. Oh, it feels right, so it must be right. Uh, we, we hear this a lot today. If someone loves me or I love someone, how can my actions be wrong? And some believe that the sin is nothing more than a violation of human relationships. 
And that the problems that are caused by sin can easily be resolved by simply fixing those relationship problems. And while some sin may be a violation of human relationships, and it may bring about some bad consequences, serious consequences in our relationships with others, it goes much deeper than that. The biblical idea of sin literally means to miss the mark. And John, he wants us to to realize that it's like an archer who fails to hit the center of the target. If you've ever done any archery, you you, you may take a few shots and you, you may have one that goes over here a little bit. Maybe one even goes off the target. But when you get close, it's really hard from a distance to hit that center mark all the time, isn't it? You find yourself just straying a little bit here and there. And it takes a lot of concentration, a lot of effort, a specific aim to hit the center of the target. And really, that's what sin is. When we, when we miss the mark that God wants us to shoot for. Sin is in action or the lack of right action in which one fails to meet the goal that's intended by God. And we know Romans 3.23 tells us, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. John calls sin lawlessness, and this is simply failing to abide by God's commands. Now, if someone's lawless, what do we think of that person doing? What are are some things that would make you lawless? Stealing? What else? Killing? Lying? What else? What are some of the big ones? Okay, using God's name in vain. Definitely, yes, adultery, fornication. Okay, living in, the, in these, these sins is lawlessness. We think of them as, as being rogue or wild. They're going against the standard. And when we sin, we violate God's righteous standard. We're seen by God as being rebellious. Now we, today, in the Christian age, we we no longer live under the constraints of the Mosaic Law. They're very specific constraints of the law. Uh, Some believe there's over 600 things that they, they couldn't do. Over 300 that they should abstain from. And so we don't have that specific law that we have to keep as if we're breaking something uh, in the Old Testament law. But here, John wants us to understand that we're, when we are lawless, when we sin, we're violating God's will, His overall plan and purpose. We're violating the law of Christ. And this sin is serious. It makes us an enemy of God. Sin is the very thing that separates us from God. And it's vital that we recognize that seriousness of sin. When we sin, it isn't just a little misstep in God's eyes. It's a direct attack on who He is and what He stands for. And John wants us to realize we need to to allow our our lives to be focused on what is right and true, to reign in our lives. And he knows that if we don't, if we aren't constantly aiming for that mark, being very specific about this is what God wants me to do. 
This is how God wants me to live. Then we'll never experience the life that God desires for His people. Sin is lawlessness. It's a transgression of the law. The word for lawless here literally means an illegality or a violation. And so sin occurs when we do what is forbidden by God. Now, James, James describes another type of sin in James 4.17. And he says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Or to him it is sin. So we have what John's talking about, the sins of commission, things that, that are forbidden that we find ourselves doing. But then James says there's also sins of omission. If we see something that's right, and we know that we should do that right thing, and we don't do it, then that's also sin. Failing to love our brother or sister, failing to honor our spouse, failing to honor our father and mother, not loving our enemies, not blessing those who persecute us, See, all those things fall into the, that realm of we know the good that we should do, but oftentimes we don't do it. There may be things that we do not do because we know it would displease our Heavenly Father, but if we abstain from doing the things we know we should do, it's just as much a sin. It's just as much not hitting that mark. And in both definitions of sin, we fall short when we've missed the mark. The standard is God's command. So failure to understand the true nature of sin is one reason why there's so much apathy towards sin today. But every time we sin, we adversely affect our relationship with God and, and we affect our relationship with others. And so John, he wants us to understand the origin of sin as well. And that's why he brings up in verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You see, the, the devil is the, the father of lies. He's the father, the origin of sin. And this statement of John is similar to what Jesus said in John eight forty four, when he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So sin originates from the devil. He's the one who's behind all the tempting, behind all of the, 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 uh, the origin of sin. More than likely, this is reference also to the beginning of mankind's sin. When John says the devil's been sinning from the beginning, that the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden led to the fall of man. But there's also strong evidence that in the Bible that the devil himself was an angel. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and Matthew chapter 25, those are a couple of, of chapters that indicates that the devil was an angel and he, he was a created being originally worshipped God, and he led a rebellion against God with other angels. But without getting into a, a, a deep sermon on that, that, that rebellion caused God to cast him down. And ever since, he has been the originator of temptation 
and wickedness which leads to sin. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 13, He prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, the devil's the one that's behind the temptation. He's the one that's behind sin. And since He is the father of sin, those who practice sin are His children and not God's. So when we miss the mark by either doing what's forbidden, when we fail to do what is good and what is commanded by God, we, we miss that mark. And when we give in to the influences of the devil and live in sin, we give him the upper hand. And we, we end up aiding him in his purpose rather than aiding God in his purpose. Sin is opposed to Christ. The main reason for Christ's first coming was to deal with the sin problem of man. And John points this out in verse 5. He said, But you know that He appeared, talking about Jesus, so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. You see, the, the devil uses temptation as a way to get us to sin, and by doing so causes us to oppose Christ. So when every time we sin... It's a direct opposition to what Christ came to do on the cross. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, speak about this. And he says, For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. If we're, if we're following the devil and his temptations and, and we're giving in to sin, then we're being hostile toward God. It's almost like we're an enemy of God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, he says. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He kept the Father's will perfectly. He became the once for all sacrifice for sins because He was holy. He was guiltless, undefiled, and He knew no sin. And this is why John says, in Him is no sin. And so if we claim to live in Him, we must do all we can to keep from sinning. Verse 6 of our text says, no one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. John mentions the defeat of sin in verses 5 and verses 8 when he talks about this purpose of Christ's coming, that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when we continue to walk in sin after we've chosen to follow Christ, it's to undermine Christ's coming to the earth. It's to undermine what His redeeming work was on the cross. When we go on sinning after we become a child of God, we trample underfoot the sacrifice of our Lord. And Hebrews 10 verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. It's important for us to consider what it cost Jesus 
in God to accomplish this purpose. Ultimately, it cost him his life, didn't it? In 1 Corinthians 15.3, said Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It cost his precious blood, the shedding of his precious blood. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. So John and, and the other New Testament writers wanted us to clearly see what sin is and to realize the horrible, terrible consequences of sin. And when we properly understand those things, we can understand that Christians cannot live in sin any longer. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. Now this is a good way to translate it, because as all of us know, after we become a Christian, we're still going to sin. How many of us who are Christians here today haven't sinned after you became a follower of Christ? Raise your hand. <laughs> Good answer. We, we all keep sinning, even after we become a follower of Christ. It's hard. It's that constant daily trying to hit the mark, isn't it? And then that's what we refer to, what's referred to in Scripture as sanctification. That process, arduous process of trying to become more and more like Christ with every passing day, knowing that we're not going to do it perfectly, but we're still, we still need to be shooting for that mark, aiming for that mark. We no longer live in sin. And it, it is present tense in the Greek suggesting a practice of not sinning. John has already said in, his, in this letter that, that Christians sin. If you turn back to chapter 1, in verses 8 and verse 10, he says, We claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So do Christians sin? Yes. John's writing to Christians. And to say that we have not sinned is a lie, and it makes God a liar. What John's talking about here is the one who does not con continuously practice sin and live in sin. And this is true of those who abide in Him. Those who live in Christ do not continuously engage in sin. And that is because they make sure the Word of God abides in them. In chapter 2, if you turn to verse 24 of, of this letter in chapter 2, he says, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Sounds like some things Jesus said, didn't it? isn't it? If you remain in me or if you abide in me, I will abide in you. The child of God walks in the footsteps of Christ. 1 John 2 verse 6 tells us, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. But the one who continuously practices sin has neither seen Jesus nor really known him, regardless of what they might claim. Verse 9, it says, No one who is born of God will continue in sin. 
Now, he is, again, not suggesting that one born of God never sins. The person who is truly born of God does not practice sin or live in it any longer. And why is that? It's because the seed, the seed of the Word, remains in them. And we know that the seed is the Word of God from Luke chapter 8, verse 11, when Jesus is telling that parable about uh, the, the Word being the seed of God, where the different seed that were scattered on the ground, and the seed's the Word of God. As long as the child of God allow the seed of the Word to remain in them, he is born of God. He is a child of God. And when we do this, we will not continuously practice sin. Instead, we continuously practice righteousness. Now, it's important to, to look at what he says here in verse 7 of our text. He says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Now, there's much in the world today that is false teaching. But we need, to, we need to ignore the false teaching, go back to God's Word for the truth. Study the Word of God. Keep it close to our hearts and minds. And when we do this, it's a, a practical way of staying close to Him so that we do not practice sin any longer. In effect, he is answering this question here, how do you know if someone really belongs to God? It's if they're in His Word, if they're close to Him. You'll know it by their behavior. They'll be bearing those spiritual fruits that we read about in the Scripture. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those types of things. Their lifestyle will not be marked by sin and disobedience, but by obedience to God's Word because they're trying to live as God's child. God's seed remains in God's child if the Word is constantly on their mind. And if we're living as a child of God, we'll want to be close to Him. Wade Allen in his book, How Do You Know What You Know? Uh, he says this concerning these verses. When John writes that Christians cannot sin, he's not talking about sinless perfection. Because none of us can be perfect. What John is talking about is a sinless direction. A sinless direction. That God's seed is growing in you. And if you've been born of God, you cannot go on living in sin because you understand the terribleness of sin. But when you do sin, you will be convicted of it and you will click quickly get your focus back on trying to hit the mark and walk in righteousness. See, a, a pig and a sheep may fall into the same pit of mud, right? How's the pig going to interpret that pit of mud? Yeah, he's going to love it. He's going to wallow around in it, right? He's going to stay there for a while. But what's the sheep going to do? The sheep's going to, ah, that's horrible. He's going to jump out of it. And the next time that the sheep comes close to it, He's going to walk around that hole and he's going to avoid it, right? Now, God gave us a discerning mind. We're not a pig. We're not a sheep. And so he expects us to use our good sense and discernment to hit the mark. We don't do things by instinct. We've been given the ability to choose and discern 
right choices in life. And if God's word is in us, we won't want to stay around and lay in the mud. But if we like laying in the mud of sin, then we need to ask ourselves a serious question. Are, are we a child of God? Burton Kaufman, in his, ver, his commentary on verse 10, he says this about the children of God and the children of the devil. He says, this is the only place in the New Testament where these two expressions stand side by side. And they correspond perfectly with the grand division of humanity into two and only two classes. And we hear a lot about the different divisions of humanity today, different nationalities, different races, different identity, whatever it might be. When it comes down to it, there's only two classes of division in all of humanity. The wheat and the chaff, the good and the bad, the sheep and the goats, those on the right and those on the left, the good fishes, the, re the rejects, the builder on the rock and the builder on the sand, lovers of God and lovers of money, the wheat and the tares, the ready and the unready, the faithful and the unfaithful, the children of God and the children of the devil. It is easy to rationalize sin as goodness in the making, but it appears in the New Testament that these two classes are radical opposites and totally irreconcilable. So when we're aware of how sin affects our relationship with God, we understand that this terribleness of sin will do everything that we can to live in it no longer. So what is your attitude towards sin? Have you been born again through obedience to God's word? If not, why not today? Why not? If you believe in Christ, you're willing to confess him before others. You're, you're willing to submit, as God's word says, to baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's keeping you from doing that this very day? And if you're a Christian and you've heard God's word today, and you're, you're letting the seed of His Word grow in you, and you're convicted that I, I need to get back on the right track. Do that today. He gives us that wonderful promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. That's promise for the Christian. Remember, John's writing to Christians. Stay right with the Lord. Be as close as you can to Him. Understand the terribleness of sin. And if you're ready and willing to become a Christian today, we're going to sing a song. And it's a good time to do this, to make this decision. But many people don't do it right now. Many do it at other times, during the week, after some study. And if you have questions, we, we don't want you to leave here today without understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ, to do God's will.